This morning is our second week in our Core Values sermon series. Um, We are going to be breaking off that second value. We unpacked a little bit for you last week what the values are. This week we're looking at what it means to be grounded in Scripture. What does it mean for us as a church to be grounded in Scripture? Last week we talked about being uh, centered in the Gospel. This week it's grounded in Scripture. So, um, your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you do need a copy of God's Word, there are a handful on the table back there. Douglas, would you do me a favor? Would you stand up and grab a couple Bibles? And if anyone needs one, go ahead and put your hand in the air, and Douglas would be happy to bring you one bring you one this morning. It's important that you see these words in front of you this morning, especially because we are discussing the, the, the value grounded in Scripture. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, just two verses this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. If you're unfamiliar where that is in your Bible, um, last week we were in Titus. If you go back to that book and just flip back to the previous book, 2 Timothy is right, right before it. It's small. It's only four chapters long, um, so you could easily miss it if you're Headed toward the back of your Bible and you get to Hebrews, you've gone a little bit too far, just go back a few, a few pages and you'll find 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, I'll read verses 16 and 17 for us this morning. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you missed last Sunday's sermon, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it if you have the opportunity to do that over the next, the next week. The first 15-ish minutes we spent time unpacking how we are going to approach this sermon series, just six weeks five values, and then we're going to spend some time talking about our mission and vision on the sixth week. I mean, if you're wondering how to listen to previous sermons, they're posted online on the website, buffalocitychurch.com slash sermons. Just go there. You can find everything, as well as the discussion guide that's frequently put on the back table there that you pick up and, and make notes on, as well as all the slides that you see behind me. If you're, if you're looking for these slides, I, I know sometimes they have points of interest on there. They're all online. If you go to buffalocitychurch.com slash sermons. Again, I would like for you to consider prioritizing this sermon series just because of the way that it's going to inform us as a body about the direction that we're heading. So if you're a member of Buffalo City Church, please again prioritize listening to these if you miss one. Um, And if you're just checking out Buffalo City Church, great, that's awesome. I'm happy that you're here. This sermon series might be very helpful for you understanding exactly what it is that we believe as a church and and how we go about uh, processing how we do the various activities and things as a a church. And if you've been here a while, uh, but you haven't connected a deeper level at Buffalo City Church, this may be helpful to clarify for you if Buffalo City Church is a, is a good fit, a good place for you to, to make a home. Okay, so grounded in Scripture. Again, these two verses in 2 Timothy are so vital in our understanding of what it means to be grounded in Scripture as, 
as a church. Something that's become a popular phrase in our culture is, and this has been resurrected a little bit recently in just the last few years, is, quote, speak your truth, unquote. I'm sure that you've heard someone say that. About two years ago, Oprah brought this up again at a Golden Globe speech that she, she gave. And while I'm not going to delve into all of the ranges of meaning for, of this phrase used in our culture, speak your truth has been used in, in a whole host of ways, starting with something as simple as tell your story to uh, unpacking uh, this phrase, what true, what's true for you isn't true for me. So in a culturally relativistic society, oftentimes we see this phrase being used as a way to skirt truth or to think that it's contained within us exclusively. Most people use a phrase like this, speak your truth, in a way that suggests telling your story is a positive tool. And in a lot of ways, I think that that is a very positive tool. We all have a story and we should celebrate it. We should see where we've come from and where we're going and we should celebrate what God has done in our lives as believers. The problem though, as it exists with so much of our 21st century cultural rhetoric, is that that keeps self firmly fixed in our universe. You can't argue with someone else's experience. That's hard to do. And when you challenge someone else's experience that's often labeled as judgmental in the world in the world on the other end of the spectrum though speak your truth claims that truth is located primarily and first and foremost internally within us it's an internal thing that's what this phrase implies you have a truth and i have a truth and those two things may miss they may be different definitions and that truth is contingent on what's going on inside of me, my experiences externally, and my interpretations of the world around me. Last week again, like I said, we talked about gospel-centeredness. And that you can't be a Christian and say that you're just fine. You're The first acknowledgement that you have to have in order to receive the truth of the gospel is that you are accountable to a creator God. And that your sin and sinfulness has separated you from, from God. That's the first acknowledgement that you must make before you receive the truth of the gospel. And the foundation of a culture that tells you to, quote, speak your truth, seeks to normalize then our sin and sinfulness and tell you it's not really that bad. It dismisses the idea that you are not okay, that you have sinned against a holy God, you're fine. You just need to find your authentic self and start living according to that thing. And the source of a statement like speak your truth is a twisting of God's intent in creation. Speak your truth is a statement that denies that you are that the, the essential part of the gospel that says that you're at odds with your creator, that you are a sinner and a rebel and a traitor and a usurper, and therefore under God's wrath. But the good news in all of this, the good news in all of this is the gospel. That Jesus came to earth fully God, fully man. He died the death that we deserved after living a perfect life. The righteous one for the unrighteous ones. 
And then he went to the grave and rose again victorious over death. And so if we repent and if we put our faith in Jesus, we will be saved from the wrath of God that is coming. Jesus says he is the way and the truth and the life. Truth is not personal. It's not contained within the individual, therefore. Jesus is the truth. So then we have to ask ourselves the question, where do we find truth if it's not internally within ourselves? That is the question that we have to ask. In our 21st century culture, that is the question that we must ask. Where is truth contained if it is not, if it is not internal in ourselves? And the answer is where we're going this morning is God's Word. And since God's Word is outside of us, it's an external standard. Not subject to internal whims like our brain chemistry or that frozen pizza we ate at 9 p.m. last night. God's divine wisdom, that was not a confession. God's divine wisdom, He gave us something outside of us to communicate truths that we need to know and understand about what He requires of us. Wayne Grudem writes, what is truth? Truth is what God says. And we have what God says in the Bible. And since this is the reality of things, let's answer a few questions, very much, very similar to like what we did last week. Answer a few questions that will help us understand this value grounded in Scripture. So the first question that we need to ask is, what is Scripture and why does it matter? What is Scripture? Just very basically, what is Scripture and why does it matter? When we use the word Scripture or the Bible or the Word of God, what are we referring to? At its most fundamental level, we're referring to the 66 books that make up the Old and New Testament. We're talking about all that is contained here from Genesis to Revelation. Written by authors, men who are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Not inspired like, I'm inspired to be a better dad today, but inspired like Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, God breathed. That is our definition of inspiration, and your, your Bible may actually use that as the translation there. All Scripture is breathed out by God, or it may say all Scripture is inspired by God. This is the definition, the biblical definition of inspiration. These are the very words of God given to the authors of Scripture to record for specific purposes. And so we ask ourselves, what are those purposes? I'm glad that you asked that question because Paul goes there here right in this text. Three or four things, excuse me. He says, teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. So Scripture teaches. It offers us what we need to know about God and about what our Creator God, to whom we are accountable, requires of us. The second thing that Scripture does that Paul says here is that it reproves. Your translation may say rebuke. The sense here is that we would be called to move off a destructive path. We're walking down a destructive path and we are called to move 
off of that destructive path back onto the straight and narrow. A path that honors God. So Scripture provides the reproof or rebuke that we need to identify a problematic direction in our life because of our sin. The third thing that Scripture does is that it corrects. This is a more doctrinal sense to it. It corrects us. For example, if you were to say, Jesus is not Lord, and then you were reading your Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, or in Romans 10, verse 9, you would be prompted to revise your statement and say, Jesus is Lord. That's the type of correction that Scripture offers. And finally, Paul writes that Scripture trains in righteousness. Scripture trains in righteousness. Just a couple of weeks ago, a marathon runner broke the two-hour mark for running a marathon. Elude Kipchug of Kenya ran 26.2 miles in one hour, 59 minutes, and 40 seconds. Do you think he trained for that? (laughs) Yes, he did. He didn't just get off his couch and run. I'm the same age as Kipchug. I couldn't run a sub-10-minute mile, and he ran 26.2 of them at, at at a rate of 4 minutes and 34 seconds per mile. I wouldn't even dream of running a marathon in my current shape. This is a confession. And while I could not run a sub-four-hour marathon, let alone a sub-two-hour marathon, if I trained really well and cared for my body, I think I could probably finish one, maybe? What do you think? She shrugged. She knows how much I love those bowls of ice cream before bed. Life is a race, and the Bible trains us for it. That's what Paul is driving at here. Life is a race, and the Bible trains us in righteousness. It trains us to finish well. To have endurance in the face of persecution, in the face of hardship, and in the face of suffering. Ignoring the Bible is the same as sitting on the couch, getting up and expecting to be able to run a marathon with no training. And then, the, and then Paul gives the results. These are the purposes of Scripture. God inspires Scripture, and He gives us the purposes of it, these four things, and then He gives us the results that come about. There is no if here as well. This is a certainty. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The results of this teaching, reproving, correction, and training, Scripture, inspired by God, His very words is like an engine. And when the cylinders of teaching, reproof, correction, and training are firing, it produces forward momentum towards God-honoring living. That word complete that we see here in verse 17, in the original language, it only appears one time in the New Testament and it's right here. 
Paul picks this word specifically to communicate that the one who is taught, reproved, corrected, and trained in Scripture is proficient or complete and is therefore capable for the task that is assigned. Scripture accomplishes these purposes in order that we may be proficient and capable for the task that is assigned. What is the task that is assigned? It is the very last portion of verse 17. Equipped for every good work. This is what Scripture does. It equips us for every good work. It is your task and my task to be equipped for every good work. This is true of all Christians. Good works are not the means by which we are saved, but once we are in Christ, we are given the ability to work in a God-honoring way. Last week in our time considering centered in the gospel, we talked about Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Your works do not save you. It is not a result of works so that no man may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So good works are prepared before us by God, and when we become a Christian by repenting and trusting Jesus Christ, we are a new creation created in Jesus for a purpose. Four good works. What are these good works? What are these good works? Simply this. Glorifying and enjoying God through the ability to live righteous lives of obedience. So our good works are looking together at Scripture and seeing the things that God requires of us and living into those things. Lives that love God. Lives that love others. And lives that obey the commands given to us in Scripture. These commands aren't burdensome. Jesus has done the work and He's given us the strength to do it. So here's all the order of this because this is important. The order of all of these things is important. First, we are saved by grace through faith. We repent of our sin and we run to Jesus, the only way to be saved from our sin and the wrath of God that is set against us. So we're saved by grace through faith and we are, in this Ephesians 2 text, simultaneously regenerated. We saw that word last week in Titus chapter 3. Regeneration means becoming new, in, or a new creation in Christ Jesus. And then that has a purpose. That has a goal. It doesn't just end there. We don't just say, I'm a new creation, and great, okay, see you later. It has a goal. It has an aim. The purpose of our regeneration, again, given to us at the end of, uh, uh, of or in uh, Ephesians 2.10, we are, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so the purpose of our regeneration is so that we might be free from sin to obey God by glorifying and enjoying Him. These are good works. We glorify and enjoy God by living obediently to His Word. His Word 
then comes to us and it teaches us, it reproves us, it corrects us, and it trains us in righteousness so that we might know how to better glorify and enjoy Him through obedience to His commands. Again, the order of things. Saved by grace through faith and regenerated. New creation in Christ. And then the purpose of that flows from that. Free from sin. To glorify and enjoy God by living obediently to His commands, understanding more and more of what He requires of us through Scripture, which teaches, reproves, corrects, and trains us in righteousness. The movement in this direction is what it means to be equipped for every good work. The movement in this direction is what it means to be complete, to be capable of the task that God has has assigned to us. So Scripture is inspired by God, breathed out by Him, in order that we may taught, reproved, corrected, and trained in righteousness as those who are freed by the gospel to live lives that glorify and enjoy God through obedience to His commands. If you attempt to glorify and enjoy God without being first a new creation, you will be unable to do that thing. The good works that God has prepared beforehand for us are a result of our regeneration, not the source of it. Now, we're going to move on and and ask the question, what does it mean to be grounded in Scripture? Before we do, did we just have an exhaustive conversation about everything that the Bible is? No, we didn't. But this information that we've talked about here from this text is vital in order that we must have, uh, uh, vital information that we must have in order to step into greater depth of understanding of what this core value means, this core value grounded in Scripture. So, again, that second question that we need to ask ourselves. What does it mean to be grounded in Scripture? As a local church, what does it mean to be grounded in Scripture? Again, we, we see those good works that have been prepared beforehand for us. And we ask the question, as Christians, our greatest goal is to glorify and to enjoy God. That's a non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable. Your purpose and my purpose, they're the same. At the 30,000-foot level, maybe what it looks like in our day-to-day looks very different, but at the 30,000-foot level, what we are created for is to glorify and enjoy God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks this very question. What is the chief end of man? And if that sounds weird to you, it is because it's old. What it means is, what is humanity's primary purpose? What's humanity's most important purpose? And the answer is man's chief end or most important purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And the second question that the Catechism asks is this, what rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? The answer, the Word of God which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. This comes straight out of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It's lifted directly out of that. How is it that we can be equipped to to state this question differently? What is the way that we can know or be equipped for every good work? By pursuing completeness through going to the Word of God. 
because it is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. That question and the answer lifted directly out of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So we're created to glorify and enjoy God. Sin made that impossible. But in Christ, we are created again, regenerated. We're created again with the ability to glorify and enjoy God. Scripture teaches us. It puts us back on the proper path. It confronts our errors. It builds endurance in us. And we seek to glorify and enjoy God through righteous lives of obedience. So grounded in Scripture, here's what it looks like practically. I'm just going to take the things that we do as a congregation and think about them. What are the things that we do? We worship together on a Sunday morning like we're doing right now. Congregational worship. The center of our time together on a Sunday morning is gospel proclamation found in preaching. That is the, that is the epicenter of congregational worship. We spend time together fellowshipping. We spend time singing together. And we spend time drinking coffee together. But the goal in the center is coming together to hear the Word of God proclaimed. All of those elements are important and commanded in Scripture, but the preaching stands at the center. So you notice then, as a result of this understanding, the pulpit on Sunday morning, it used to sit over there, it sits here now. It sits here. That's a conscious decision. Because the proclamation of God's Word is the, is the epicenter of congregational worship. The pulpit represents gospel proclamation found in preaching. It's not some ritualistic thing. It just reminds us the, the good news of the gospel proclaimed through preaching stands at the center. It's a nonverbal reminder that the focus of our focus in coming together as a congregation is first Scripture. Or consider with me Buffalo City Church kids. Many of our kids are up there, down there, all over the place. The center of their time together in those spaces is a, a Bible story and a scripture memory verse. The craft is fun. I love to hang them up in my office. There's time for them to play. That's great. But we don't call it child care. So we don't need to worry about our little ones embarrassing us in this space. The the center of their time together, upstairs and down, is to be grounded in Scripture. To understand Scripture and to memorize it, to hide it in their hearts. Or consider uh, Bible studies. Maybe you've been part of a Bible study here at Buffalo City Church. If you've been part of a Bible study, you'll note that sometimes in other contexts over the years, Bible study has become a catch-all term for hang out and chat hang out and chat, or read a vaguely Christian book. And if the Bible is approached, questions like, what does this passage mean to you are asked first. That's not a Bible study. It's not a Bible study. Asking that question first is implying that there are multiple meanings to a passage and that those meanings are contained within the individuals present. Speak your truth. David Platt, talks about it like this. He's a pastor. He talks about it like this. He says that oftentimes our Bible study goes like this. Say a group is together and studying Genesis chapter 22. You know that text. That's where Abraham goes up the mountain with Isaac. God tells him to sacrifice Isaac. 
And a leader in that setting says, okay, what does this mean to you? And the first participant says, well, I, I think this chapter means that we need to go hiking as father and son more often. The leader says, okay, fine. Anybody else? And the second participant says, well, I think it's clear from this passage that it's, that it's okay to sacrifice animals because of the ram that's provided at the end which means that no one should be a vegetarian. That seems ludicrous. You're laughing. I'm glad. Because that's not, but that's how Bible study goes a lot of the time. Sometimes our opinions are elevated over what truth God is communicating through his word. Now the question, what does this mean or how does it apply to you is a good question. But it can't be the first question in a Bible study. First, we need to understand what God's meaning is in the text and what, it, what truth God is communicating here to us. If this is in fact breathed out by God, then there is a very specific intent for it. And so if you've been part of a study here at Buffalo City Church, you've noticed that we don't elevate application over proper understanding of meaning of the text that we're studying. We are grounded in Scripture in those spaces. Or consider maybe our community groups. Our community groups have goals. We set goals for our community groups and community group leaders. We want to be praying together. We want to be serving together. We want to be discussing the sermon together in Scripture. And we want to be eating together regularly. And these are ways that we can be growing with one another in relationship, in an environment that is God-honoring and biblically-based. Through these environments, we create a depth of understanding of how to live righteous life of obedience as new creations in Christ. This spurs us on. We share about the ways that the Word is teaching and correcting and reproving and training us in righteousness in those spaces. Or consider discipleship that you may may be involved in a discipleship relationship here at Buffalo City Church. We say that our mission is to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. And that happens through proclaiming the gospel to those who have yet to believe, but also those who have believed. Mark Dever wrote a little book just called Discipling. It gives a helpful definition. Helping others to follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good. The best way to do this, again, helping others to see and apply the teaching, reproof, correction, and training found in the Bible so that we may be complete, equipped to better glorify God and to enjoy Him. Dever goes on in that book to say, if you say you are following Jesus but are not helping others to know and follow Jesus, then I don't know what you mean by I follow Jesus. Discipleship is grounded in Scripture. It's given to us by Jesus in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Verses 19 and 20 say this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Proclaiming the gospel to those who need to believe the good news of Jesus and to those who have already believed but continually need to be built up in their belief, continually need to be made complete continually need to be equipped for every good work. 
So we glorify God through obeying Jesus' directive here in Matthew chapter 28. And we need the teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that Scripture offers to be equipped for the task, for the disciple-making mission. So, what does it mean to be grounded in Scripture? It means basing everything that we do as a church in Scripture. Preaching, teaching, discipleship, evangelism, everything. We don't walk into a particular sphere and say, you know what? I think human logic in this space is better. We didn't, our, our, our mission to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ is in an illogical way to grow a church, and yet that's what Jesus did. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's slow, and oftentimes it's messy. But it's the way the Bible lays it out for us. What does it mean to be grounded in Scripture? It means basing everything that we do as a church in Scripture. There's a few direct implications for us, and we'll draw some conclusions, and we're going to move to to the Lord's table this morning. So I'm going to give you three things. Just in conclusion, these are for you to take away, just to consider as a result of this understanding of Scripture. So three things. The first is this. The understanding that Scripture is inspired by God and given to us in order that we may be taught, reproved, corrected, trained in righteousness as those who are free to live lives that glorify and enjoy God through obedience to His command, this truth leads us to humility. This truth leads to humility. Again, those four things, they're kind of humiliating. They're kind of humiliating. Teaching. You have to put yourself in the position of a learner. It requires you to say, I don't know everything. I'm lacking important information about who God is in my head but I can find it here on the page. So pray this week, God, I need to know You and how to live a righteous life, glorifying and enjoying You as I seek You in Your Word. You're putting yourself in the position of a learner. Or reproof. You have to, willing, you have to be willing to be assessed by the Bible, by Scripture. You might be on the wrong path this morning, and you may know it, or maybe you don't. Are you willing to be exposed in that kind of way? To admit that your direction in life could be wrong? Pray this week, God, I need to see clearly where my steps in life has, have gone wrong. I need to be placed back on the proper path. Which one of my relationships have I damaged? Where have I worked and acted faithlessly? Where has my life reflected more of me than more of you, God? Please show me this in your word. Or correction. Again, humiliating. You have to be willing to be challenged in that which you thought you knew. You might be making assumption about God and His purposes for you. You might have been believed false doctrines or half-truths about many things. Pray this week, God, I need to be corrected where I have assumed that I've known rightly. I need to be corrected where my personal preferences have been at odds with biblical commands. Finally, training in righteousness. You're not running the spiritual marathon you need to run if you've neglected your Bible. 
And as much as you may think you can get up off the spiritual couch and run that spiritual marathon only ingesting spiritual Cheetos, you're not going to make it very far in that marathon. You need training and you need substance. Pray this week, God, I need to be trained in righteousness. I need to build my endurance in a world that is full of obstacles to me glorifying and enjoying you. Please train me through your word. And when we humbly approach God's word as those who realize we don't know everything and regularly need to be redirected, we begin to grow. And we begin to see the beauty in this whole process as we become more and more equipped for good works. The second thing is this. This truth about Scripture being inspired by God and given to us for these things, this truth motivates us to put in the work. I would be lying to you if I told you that understanding your Bible and applying it to your life is easy. But it's required to follow Jesus. It's required for the Christian life. And you have the Holy Spirit given to you to empower you and illuminate Scripture to you. Try glorifying and enjoying God by living a righteous life of obedience and never cracking your Bible open. It's just not possible. That's why God gives it to us. God gives us these things that are possible in Scripture. If I look at my kids in the eyes and tell them, clean the playroom, and I check 20 minutes later and no toys have been put away, is that okay? No. I gave them very clearly the expectation, and we are given very clearly the expectation for godly, righteous living in Scripture. And we are given a helper, the Spirit of Christ, to empower us. And we're responsible then to put in the work. Jesus tells His followers in Luke 14 that following Him requires counting the cost. Is putting in time in God's Word individually and with others too great a cost? The final truth that this brings up with our understanding that Scripture is inspired by God given to us for these things, the final thing here is that this truth unites us. It makes our standard not something that is subject to our own personal whims, but something that is contained outside of us. This has the ability to unite us. Instead of a community that is centered around flimsy, culturally informed idea of speaking your truth, we are grounded in God's truth. Instead of just live and let live, we challenge one another to grow through the instruction, reproof, and correction and training that Scripture gives us. These things do not happen when the standard is individualized. That is why God, in His infinite wisdom, communicated unshakable truth to us through His Word. And so, as we consider this value grounded in Scripture, we desire as a church together to be humble, to be motivated to put in the work, and to be united firmly grounded there. 